the power of thought. There are bizarre instances of human behavior in this world that inspires us to ask us questions. Because as we watch the news and we see and hear these things, we can't wrap our minds around them. How can you behead children? Why do ISIS members burn a pilot alive, film the murder, and triumphantly distribute it globally so people can watch it? If there's an answer to these questions, some of it lies in ideology, the study of ideas and systems of belief, researching ideas, much as you study photons, rocks, or emotions can help you understand the underpinnings of your own thoughts and beliefs. So from right from the get-go, I want to establish this in your mind. Everyone here has their own belief system. It's come from a lot of different places, but bar none, we have our own belief system and we have our own ideologies about life. We all possess one. In 1994, in Rwanda, between 500,000 and a million, toots, a million Tutsi people were slaughtered by the Hutus, all because of an ideology. Joseph Stalin was a thug. He was an extortionist, a train robber, a, a practice killer who convinced well over 100 million people that his ideologies that he wrote, and he wrote a lot, were, were compared to the Bible, so to speak, that his word was like God's word, and they, they bought into it. So between the 20s and 30s, hundreds of millions of people worked their fingers to the bone, building a, a massive civilization out of rubble, all because of his ideology. You realize that not to get political this morning, which is hard to do, and I, I think I need to tell you what I believe. That ideology was socialism. There's four socialist nations in the world, China, Laos, Vietnam, and what's the fourth one? Cuba. All started with an ideology. Socialism works. Socialism never works. I want you to, if you've never heard me say that before, I'm saying it this morning. It looks great on paper, but it ends up in the minds of people like this, and that's what happens. So all the death and mayhem in history created all started with an idea. It was a thought in somebody's mind that took root. They shared it, and people acted upon it. Thought power is the key to creating your reality. Everything you perceive in the physical world has its origin in the invisible inner world of your thoughts and beliefs. We always want to control or master our destiny, and to do that, you have to get control of your habitual thoughts. And by doing so, you will be able to attract into your life that which you intend to have an experience as you come to know the truth. That your thoughts create your reality. Your thoughts, what you think in here, it'll create your reality for the rest of your life, in a sense. So we asked this question this morning, why can a tiny sin of thought 
that seems so harmless be just as dangerous as a blatant malicious one. Because it's because of the progression of sin, if unerased, that little mark on your soul left by sin in the mind will smear one's character. And if it's allowed to stain, it will permanently, if it's allowed to stay, it will permanently stain your soul. Sometimes it's best to stay away from something for the sinful fact that being associated with it could lead you into trouble. As a harmless thought can lead to a heinous sin, so a harmless association can lead one to spiritual disaster. And many of us can relate to that. I doubt if anybody here that's followed Christ very long has not had a spiritual disaster in your life. In that one moment of weakness where you, you let down and the thought was here and you went ahead and acted upon it, and even in rationalization, sometimes we say, you know what? Now I'm going to go ahead and do this sin because God will forgive me. And it's like I said a thousand times, yeah, you can go ahead and do it, but then there's consequences to that. Then that's the scars that we live with sometimes. That's why Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The Corinthians were not taking every thought, every idea captive. They were acting out very wrong thoughts. James tells us what happens if we do this in James 1.15. These evil desires lead to evil actions and evil actions lead to death. Spiritual and physical as well. Our text, 1 Corinthians 10, starting verse 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful, for you too may fall into the same sin. But remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I say about is, what about to say is true. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the blood of Christ? And when we break the loaf of bread, aren't we sharing in the benefits of the body of Christ? We all eat from one loaf, showing that we are in one body. We are one body. And think about the nation of Israel. All who eat the sacrifices are united by that act. What am I trying to say? Am I saying that the idols to whom the pagans bring sacrifices are real gods and these sacrifices are of some value? No, not at all. What I am saying is that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want any of you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do you dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy as Israel did? Do you think we are stronger than he is? The Corinthians were heading for a disaster. In the name of celebrating their liberty in Christ, they participated in idolatry, which, as Paul explains, is one curve on the downward spiral into the pit of demonism. To these self-confident and proud Corinthians who pompously turned their noses up that they would never fall into sin... Paul gives them the warning as he does us today. Verse 12, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. 
Dallas Willard wrote a book years ago called The Spirit of the Disciplines. And there was one sentence in that book that lifted off the page and stuck in my mind and my heart. He said, never kid yourself. We are all capable of great evil, not just average. It's in here. That, that is the point Paul is trying to make to the Corinthians as well. Don't ever get too proud of yourself to think that you can't fall or you can't sin. The word heed means to look at something. Paul is saying, if you're so sure you'll stay standing, take a closer look, realizing that you, yes, even you might be headed to a fall. So he warned them about seeing themselves realistically vulnerable, dependent on God, and able to fall. So he writes this to the discouraged in verses 10 through 13. He didn't lump all the Corinthians together, because within the, the context of that, that body, there were some that weren't struggling with, with falling off the edge, so to speak. They were just struggling with temptation. To them, he brings this word of caution, or not caution, but comfort. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as in co is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond and what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. So he's bringing this, this comfort. Do you have a temptation that you, you wrestle with? And sometimes we, we think we are alone, but we're all in the, the same boat. Satan doesn't pick one person out over another. He just bothers us all. In the screw tape letters, letters by C.S. Lewis, he, he writes this running dialogue between Satan and his demon, head demons and tells them what to, what to do and what to bother. So to imagine that in your mind, that in the world of hell, that Satan has, he keeps record of your names on the top of this sheet, on a wall board, what you will, and under your name, he's got all the things where he knows that if he can get a claw in, that he can really bother you. So your name's on the wall, and all the temptations that you have fell for before are there. And so he sends these demons out every day and every night and said, here's, here's, here's Eddie's weakness. Make sure you do everything in your power to bring that weakness before him today, because I want him to fall. I want him to run his witness. I want him to fall so far that he destroys crossroads. That's on his agenda, and that's 24-7. I, I think we, we, we lull ourselves into a false sense of security sometimes. But Paul's saying that God is faithful and to keep us away from that white-hot flame of temptation, which I would dare say this morning, myself included, that there are many of us today that have third-degree burn marks on our soul, even on our bodies, so to speak. The Corinthians needed a warning, and Paul has given it to them. They have chose to live dangerously. If, if we see this carpet as the kingdom of God and this carpet the kingdom of Satan in the world, you and I, if we were smart in our faith walk, we would be clear over here living but not so. Too many of us live right here. We live right on the edge. And that's what the Corinthians were do, doing. They were living right on the edge of the pagan world. And he, they thought because of their freedom in Christ that they could come over here and live a while and walk and then go back without any repercussions. But 
but not so. That's why Paul was concerned about them. Because if you stay over here long enough, you'll get to the point that the Holy Spirit voice gets fainter and fainter and fainter. Finally, you don't hear it so much anymore. And I believe, my friends, this morning, that's a dangerous place to live. So Paul Paul gives them this command. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. An idol is anything that constantly draws your heart away from God and wants you, wants to be enthroned in his place. Here's something to think about. Idols were made out of gold, wood, and stone. What are our idols today? Are they made out of flesh? Maybe another person? The paper of money, the the security of a big bank account, maybe in a happy home, or maybe all your stuff? There's not evil in those items themselves, but they can become idols. Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. Idol worship was a major expression of religion in Corinth. There were a lot of temples. Wood stone, metal idols that they bowed down to and did all kinds of unimaginable things. And as I has told you before, we live in a crazy world where there's a lot of evil things at our fingertips, but I don't know if we can understand the world of Corinth. They had temple prostitutes that day or night, male or female, that you could go in and have orgies or do whatever you wanted 24-7. Do you imagine what a temptation that would be for somebody that really struggles with lust? And it's like voodoo in Haiti today. It's, It's attached to having children. It's to having good crops. It's to having food. It's to having good weather. And that gets in a system, and it's hard to eradicate that. This is what happened in Corinth. They thought all these pagan idols had all things to do with this. We don't put our trust in statues of wood and stone. Well, boy, we sure put it in paper money and these plastic things that most of us live by. That's all my hopes in Jesus, but some days... If I don't have any of this, my hope's waning a little bit if you get my drift on that. Our model idols of symbols of power, pleasure, prestige that we so highly regard. So when we understand contemporary parallels of idolatry today, Paul's word flee from idolatry revealed choices that we've got to make. Again, the power of thought. You, it's up to you. You can live like hell or you can live like heaven. It's entirely up to you. And then all these consequences that you create, it's on you. Man, I, I'm just being honest this morning. I am sick to death of people blaming God for stuff when it's on themselves. Go look in a mirror. If you've destroyed your life, if you've destroyed your body, don't be blaming it on God. It's on you. You look in the mirror because there, there you're seeing the fault where the fault lies. God's a big God. He can handle that. You can scream. You can shake your fist at him. You can be angry with him. But my point is this. Do not stay angry. 
Paul then gives three reasons to flee idolatry because he understood the implications. He knew that the Corinthian association with idolatry would lead to grieving God's heart and destroy their fellowship with him. First reason, association with idolatry leads to participation in idolatry. He gives two examples, the Lord's table and the nation of Israel, verse 16 through 18. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break sharing is in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices share in the altar? And these two verses here, he mentions three, he mentions sharing three times. So Paul's point is associating us with the body and blood of Christ. When we partake in communion, we become participators with him. We enjoy the fellowship and union of believers. Also, the Israelites were able to participate with God in fellowship and worship through their sacrifices, Deuteronomy 12, 18. 12, 18. It was Jesus, the unseen reason behind the Lord's Supper, and Jehovah, the unseen reason behind the sacrifices that made them so meaningful. And as Paul's logic implies, it is also Satan, the unseen force behind idolatry, who makes it so very destructive. Second reason, not to have idols. Participation in idolatry leads to involvement with the devil. Well, we don't, we don't make that connection, do we? Back to the warning. Same warning he gave him in chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything. No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. There's nothing wrong with wood or stone or an idolatrous altar in a sense, or even meat offered to idols. But what is dangerous is the forces of darkness that's behind that, behind the stuff of idols. When you get too deeply entrenched in a sin, an idol is created. Whatever that sin might be, you have set this idol up in your life. It could even be a a bottle of water, so to speak. And that bottle of water represents that sin that, that you keep going back to and doing over and over and over again. So if you do that, an idol is created and Satan has gained a foothold in your life and begin and can begin his takeover because that's what he wants to do. He wants to drive all your thoughts, all your compassion of Christ completely out of your system and only belong to him. That is his goal. That's, that's who he is. That's what he does. And he's very good at it. Third reason, stay away from idols. Involvement with the things of the devil lead to spiritual disaster. Crux of the matter, you cannot be involved with God and Satan. They're like oil and water. They don't mix. You can't be involved with them in the both time. Verse 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. God won't split or tolerate loyalties. He wouldn't let Israel and he won't let us today. Here are some warnings for us. And I say this a lot. There's a lot of places they don't talk about the devil, but I think we should know our enemy. 
If you've been in the military, all the strategists, they do reports on the enemy. They study the enemy. They know his habits. They know his weaknesses. Satan is alive and well, scheming to attack you today. He might attack you while you're here in this church. He puts things in our mind, power of thought. They might seem harmless. You know what? Let's, man, I, I, can't wait to, I can't wait to get out of here. I hope this guy quits yammering so I can go eat. <laughs> I know I was being goofy, but I think it's real, and I think that's what he does. Just as the forces of heaven are active, so are the forces of hell. And there is nothing going to stop the devil from harassing you short of your denial of faith till you get to that point and say, God, I don't want you anymore. Just leave me alone. And again, I go back to I think that's a dangerous place to be. And he wants to destroy your testimony. If he can do that, he is one happy camper. His goal, Satan delights in believers who live, love to live on the no trespassing borders of carnality, which is being worldly. Those who value their liberty in Christ above their loyalty to Christ, saying, you know what? I can, I can pretty much do what I want in, in this life. I am free. I have freedom in Christ. But the problem is, if you live on this edge too long, you start doing things that you wouldn't have thought about doing because you've let these other things into your life and you think that that's okay. God has made us with minds, emotions, and wills. And on your board that Satan has with your name on it, he's got all three of these emotions listed of yours and he knows exactly where your weakness is and where to go. He attacks in all three areas. He entices our intellect with false religions, parapsychology and atheism and every kind of unbiblical philosophy that is out there. His main thing, one of his main thrusts in life is to see all religions the same. They were all... Regardless, you can go, and I'm not going to name a bunch of, uh, you, know, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. That, that they're all the same, that they all paths lead to God, all paths lead to heaven. That, that's a lie. That is Satan's lie. That's why he tries to get everybody to buy into it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, absolutely no one, big black and white letters, no one comes to the Father except through me. Amen. He is the door, the only door. So if Satan's been feeding you this stuff, you got to shake that off because if you believe that, you will end up in a burning hell right in him, his embrace. That is the problem. And that's, that's exactly what he, he does. He, he ravishes our emotions with a lust for sexual perversion, sex outside of marriage, and I could a whole list of these. And he overthrows our wills, inciting us to rebel against authority. You've heard the voice. You don't have to listen to God. You live in grace. You can pretty much do what you want, and, and things, things, things are going to be all right. When Satan undertook to draw Eve away from God, he did not hit her with a stick, but with an idea 
It was with an idea that God could not be trusted and that she must act on her own to secure her own well-being, which she did. Being a good husband. (laughs) Oh, come on, Adam. This apple is great. And if you don't eat some of this apple, you're going to have to sleep on the couch about two months. I, I just see it unfold in today's world how it would work. And men being such sheep sometimes, I'm, if mom ain't happy, nobody ain't happy. So I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to say all that, but I, it was, it's, just, it's in my mind. But we know what happened. Don't kid yourself. We live in a culture filled with moral depravity and sin-inducing pressures. Paul gave strong encouragement to the Corinthians about temptation. He said, wrong desires and temptations happen to everyone. Like I said, we're all in this together. There's nobody in here that's not tempted, myself included. But others have resisted temptation, and so can you. Any temptation can be resisted because God will help you resist it if you let him. Run from anything you know is wrong. Choose to do right. Pray for his help and seek friends. And There's nothing wrong with having somebody that you love and you trust. And when you are under tremendous temptation, to either text them or call them and say, man, could you pray with me? God bless the person that does that. There's, there's no sign of weakness in that all. Actually, there's a great sign of spiritual maturity and wisdom in that. Can you imagine how much better it would be if, if we all, all did that and how much grief uh, we could save ourselves and people that we love? Because you and I know when we fall, we're, it's just not us. It, it, it sends out that ripple effect, and things happen in life that sends out those ripples. You hurt yourself, you hurt your spouse, you hurt your kids, you hurt God first, you hurt your church, and sometimes it's never the same. I love small towns, but I'll guarantee you this. If you fell so great in that small town that your name was on everybody's lips, I'll tell you as I'm standing here this morning, it'll never be forgotten. It's aggravating to me. Since I've been here 21 years, the things that I've heard, when I am proud of you guys, I am proud of the progress that many have you have made in your spiritual lives, and when I bring somebody's name up, somebody will inevitably say, yeah, but you don't know what they did. I've had people bring me old newspaper clippings in some of your lives where you messed up. I'm sick of that. I don't want to see it. I look at you now. I look at you now in Christ. I don't, I could give a, you know what? I don't care about your past. I care about today and how close you are to Christ and how you're going to live the rest of your life in Jesus. That's, that's my main concern for you. So if you got dirt on somebody, don't, don't tell me. Just keep it to yourself. It hurts is what it does. And that's Satan. That's what he does. He wants to destroy our character. And we always have to remember that greater is he. I'm talking about the attacks of Satan. We easily get the victim complex. 
But we have to understand that God is here to give us power and to help us in our struggles. So I ask you this morning, what sins have given Satan a foothold in your life? God knows. Maybe those at your table, maybe those that you live with don't even know, but maybe you got some. What idols are crowding out the Lord on the throne of your heart? If God's speaking to you today, go ahead and make things right with him. I always say that. Renounce your sins, and he'll give you the strength to overcome. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in this world. Greater is he, the power of the Holy Spirit, of Christ in us, than all the stuff that Satan can throw at us in this world. So I ask you, and I close with this, are you doing daily what God tells you to do in 2 Corinthians 10.5? We demolish arguments and every pretension pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Would you stand with me? Sometimes it, it helps us to verbalize these things. Can you say this verse out loud with me? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The world, the flesh, and the devil has many negative anti-Christ thoughts that comes into our mind daily. But we as the body of Christ... Brothers and sisters in arms need to stand together and stand up with each other and lock arms and hearts to defeat those three issues that we struggle with. So this morning, if you need prayed with or you want to pray, this altar sure is open for you, and there's people here that love you that will help you, and they'll understand that. I I don't want you to ever think ill of coming down here, that people will think ill. They don't do that here. I've been places maybe where they have, but... That's off the the chart here. What we do is we love you enough that we want to help you, and then someday down the road you might be able to help us. Lord, we love you, and I just thank you again for uh, your spirit and the way you work in our lives and give us guidance and direction and and courage, Lord. I know sometimes it's hard to fess up. It's just hard to admit we've made mistakes, and it's hard to admit even sometimes that we sin, but we do. So right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you have your way in hearts here, that if there be any that needs a little adjusting this morning, Holy Spirit, as you grip that heart, that they would respond. If they want to be prayed with by people that love them, that they could come down here and and find peace at this altar. They could find it in their seat, but boy, there's just something about somebody laying their hand on your back and knowing there's another believer praying for you. So right now, Father, I turn this service over to you. I turn it over to you, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place where we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.